Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to the Yes Means Yes show, where the personal and the political get intimate. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and every other week I'm joined by one smart and provocative guest to discuss sex, sexuality, and or sex-related current events. And this week's guest really is going to talk to us about all three. I have with me Pia Jacobson uh, of the Rose Alliance in Sweden. She's also the president of the Global Network of Sex Work Projects. Pia, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And as you know, but our listeners don't, I have asked you on because there is an enormous global kerfuffle happening um, over (laughs) people are clutching their pearls because uh, Amnesty International is taking a vote uh, on whether or not to support the decriminalization of sex work. And that is making people lose their ever loving minds. Um, as you well know. Uh, And so I really was hoping that you could first talk to me and our listeners about what's in the proposal, what does it influence, why does it matter that Amnesty says anything, Um, and then we can talk about some of the controversy around it. Does that sound good to you? Sure, sure. Awesome. So, yeah, start, give us a little backgrounder. Uh, Well, basically, Amnesty International, or, or, I I mean, the head office in in London, they... Probably called headquarters. Well, whatever. Uh, they uh, drafted a document last year that was a policy proposal on decriminalization. Why they started doing it, that's anyone's guess, you know, but you, maybe because all the other like big human rights bodies already have a policy on decrim, you know, Human Rights Watch and, and you know, some parts of the UN family, the other ones don't even have a position. Uh, anyway, so that leaked, big scandal all over the world. Now Amnesty are, they are going to like facilitate the lives of traffickers and pimps was the, more or less the debate. That is what I keep hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is kind of funny, but we can get back to that. Yeah. Uh, So the policy calls for decriminalization of sex work, which is not the same as legalization. Uh, A lot of people confuse them. Some people that oppose this uh, proposal confuses them, which confuses me, uh, I must say, because how can you argue against something when you don't even know what you're arguing against? But when you legalize... Well, you're obviously not familiar with U.S. politics. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know, one would hope, you know, people that are, you know, are care about human rights, you know, there's a big difference between legalization and yeah. decriminalization. And so when you legalize, you take away the criminal laws and you put a new set of special laws, you know, that you apply to the, on the sex industry. And it's just another way of controlling the sex industry. Very, very often it's not about really allowing it to thinking it's okay. It's about just another way to control it and very often try to, to limit it and make it make it smaller. And are when there you, places where sex work is legalized? Uh, there are several places where, where sex work is legalized. I mean, the two most famous ones in Europe would be Germany and the Netherlands. I guess you have just one state, right? Yes, Nevada. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, actually, the first country in Europe to to legalize was Greece. And, um, you know, typical example of why legalization is a little bit problematic. Uh, because it can, legalization can, you know, it can have some good laws that, you know, are labor rights oriented, but it can also have things like mandatory testing or problematic zoning laws, uh, I mean, all kinds of measures to sort of control the industry. In the Netherlands, uh, migrants can ask for a you know, work permit for all kinds of occupation with one exception, obviously sex work. So, so it's just a set of special laws. And sometimes it's a little bit better and sometimes it's really bad. Can you talk about the cases in which it goes bad? I just want to make sure we're grounded in like actual examples. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, uh, so, I mean, Greece is, is a good example. So, in Greece, you have to have mandatory testing, and I think it's once once a month even. So, if you don't get your test, uh, then you are illegal. This, the minute you miss your test, you are illegal when you're working. Uh, you, it, well, I must say that my my you know, my um, details on the laws is not very updated, but this is how it was like seven years ago. Okay. They might have changed something, but it gives you an idea. Sure. So, so you are only allowed to work in brothels. The brothels have to be owned by a sex worker, which is a, sort of a, a good thing uh, from my perspective. Uh, and, but they can only work one sex worker at a time in each brothel. What? Yes, but then you can have a maid that sort of takes care of your clients while they wait. Now, she's not allowed to have sex because then she can go to prison, but she must have mandatory health checks. Got it. So there's just a lot of intrusive regulations that come with legalization. Exactly. Okay. So, So when you decriminalize, you take away the special laws that you have on the sex industry. And in most countries, these are actually not that many laws. Then you you know will you know depending on how the law, the laws you have uh, look and how they're used you will you might change a few bits and pieces of other laws that are the, you know there will be a paragraph here and there that is for the, for the sex industry it's important to remember that you know this is not about decriminalizing you know decriminalizing uh, rape or trafficking or sexual exploitations those things are still staying illegal Uh, And that seems to be one of the main confusions in the conversations that I see, which is this constant conflation, not just around this amnesty thing, but around all of the conversations I see around sex work, which conflate sex work and trafficking. And can you tell me what's your theory about why people can't keep those two things straight? 
I think I mean I think there's uh, several reasons. First of all, it's uh, you know it's sort of, sort of hard to say what what's the hen and what's the egg here, but but it's so hyped right now. I mean, there's such a you know it's like a you know everybody's concerned about human trafficking. It's like it's the biggest threat to to you know the whole planet right now. And I mean, it's uh, any type of exploitation is is horrible and shouldn't happen well sure but you don't see people freaking out about you know the trafficking of people for other labor which happens also right like they right it's no yeah no no, yeah i know because this is sex and then it's different you know it's (laughs) like you know then it's different and everything is different about it uh and and also you know in all honesty you know right now there's a lot of cash and anti-trafficking you know let's not i mean i i actually i'm so tired of people not saying that it's like everybody's so you know there's some bloody do-gooders and everybody suddenly is a saint and wants to you know no no this is a lot of money a lot of the anti-trafficking organizations are used to be anti-porn you know sort of you know you know, men are evil, women are better, you know, just because you have a uterus, you have a little bit more emotions and, you know, and anti-porn, porn, porn is like the, you know, well then something that the devil came up with, not the devil, because these people don't tend to be very religious, even though they like to hang out with religious people at times. Uh, well, and where but- does the money come from? Do you know? Oh God! I mean, a lot of the money. Uh, you know, I can. I mean, I'm. I'm not a super, super. You know, knowing. I don't know that much about the U.S. situation when it comes to funding. I know Europe, and it, you know, it's a lot of state funding, but it's also some private foundations putting money into this. It's a good cause, and I totally get that. Uh, but as soon as there is, um, you know, a sort of exaggeration sounds like I don't take the problem seriously. I mean, I find exploitation of anyone in any shape or form horrible. But this has, you know, this has come to such proportions, you can actually nearly make any claim. And it will, you know, no one will challenge you. I mean, I'm from a city with 2 million people. We have like the smallest sex industry in the world, just because, you know, we always had a really small sex industry. And we have this cop going around and he's like, oh, we have lots of children being trafficked. Oh, really? How many? Four or five hundred each week. Wow. Like, yeah. And it's like, where, where are all these like hordes of young children that are, you know, somehow, I mean, but no one questions it. This, this sounds completely normal to people because this has been, it's been such a buildup uh, around trafficking. And also because, you know, when we, we don't talk I mean, it's like we don't talk what actually happens, what actually goes on. And sh- there are some terrible, extreme cases with, you know, gunpoint kidnapping, whatever. But, I mean, most cases are cases of bonded labor, uh, really shitty labor exploitation. I mean, it's – which is really, really bad. It's just that, uh, you know, it doesn't – you don't get celebrities standing up in a row when it happens in the, you know, garment factories. Right. Because when it happens in the garment factories and we're like, okay, there's a bit of child labor and some of the people are like living in the factories and working all the time. That's not good. Then we think, all right, these people need labor rights. We look at, you know, a bunch of sex workers and we think, oh, these people absolutely, you know, their life will be worse if they get labor rights. We are just going to save them. Right. They need rescue. Yeah, right. Which is, it just seems to me this moral panic that is tied up with the idea that women who work in sex industries 
obviously just sort of are so fallen from their ability to take care of themselves that like that they must need rescue. It's it's it just seems really patronizing to me. No, yeah, no, it does. And I mean, first of all, you know, to me, it says, and I come from, you know, quite liberal country, and we're not very religious at all either. But it's, you know, I always think like, wow, we didn't get very far with women's sexuality now, did we? Because it's like, suddenly it's like, no, because sex is supposed to be pure and, you know, because you love someone or like, you know, I don't know, because you want to make babies and everybody's going around pretending like everybody only have sex when they're horny all the time, which is bullshit. You know, when you're in a relationship, you have sex for a number of reasons. Like, I like you. It's been a long time. You know, thank you for remembering my birthday. You know, <laughs> It's like, you know, oh, he took out the garbage. I don't know. I mean, so we do it for a lot of reasons. I, I'm arguing. And, and, you know, that's not bad. I think we, we trade stuff all the time. Uh, uh, money is a different thing. So, uh, and then also there is another thing that pisses me off, which is, yes, but, you know, this is, you know, the trafficking is such a big problem. You know, women and children are being, well, hold on a second, you know, women and children. Right. Because you never hear them say men and children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I am 47 years old this year and I am no child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, but it's always, you know, and, and it, now it's like a, it's like a, the new buzzword, women and children. It's like you can barely not separate the two words from each other. And, and so there's something super patronizing, uh, you know, about the whole thing. First off, women can't decide how they have sex, because as soon as money enters the equation, there is absolutely no possibility of consent. Right. And then we are like children on the top of it. Well, and I've also heard recently um, an argument that women in sex trades are are inherently traumatized and you can't ask traumatized people – to say what they need, right? That, that of course, women who are actively working as sex workers are going to say they want it decriminalized because they don't think they have any better options, basically, like it, or that they're so traumatized that they have kind of Stockholm syndrome or, you know, that sort of an argument. Lately only? I mean, I'm from Sweden, <laughs> so we've done this since the 70s, all right? Uh, yeah, no, and, and, and what we've seen in Sweden, so they started out with... You know, if you look at the discourses, like during the 70s, we were, you know, so, sort of, you know, social misfits, sort of, you know, white trash kind of families. And we were probably uh, using a little bit of drugs. And then, you know, 10 years later, then we were like a little bit more broken down, a little bit of sexual abuse had entered the picture. And, you know, and also sort of you know, lost people, you know, like we had no self-worth and we had no self-respect. And and now, I mean, now the, the, the narrative is really that we are so emotionally damaged right. that, you know, so, I mean, so they're basically labeling us mentally ill. So how do you answer that? Now, that's the thing, you know, it's like, because this is a very, very good silencing technique. Yeah. Because you're like, you're like, you're not feeling bad, then you're not representative, and then your word is not important. You know, what you have to say is not important. And if you think you're feeling good, that's actually uh, proof of how, how really broken and, you know, hurt as a human being. Your, your soul is destroyed because you think you're, you're fine in your life, but that's actually proof that you're not, not. And it's like you're suffering from a false consciousness and you don't have any insight. Well, and also I think... 
we don't say that about labor organizing in any other field, right? So again, if we think about people working in garment factories or in, you know, uh, farm work, uh, possibly, you know, who don't have legal immigration status, um, you know, the, these are folks who may well have experienced lots of trauma and have been economically coerced in one way or another into doing the work that they're doing in the sense that maybe it's not what they would do if money were no object. Um, they wish they would have better options. But what we do tend to listen to them and say they know what they need. No, I get, yeah, right. And And the thing is that, you know, we don't get as upset just in general if we you know outside of trafficking but when we talk about sex work you know female sex workers you know uh, or or uh, you know th- that really messes with people's head now you you know if there are male identified sex workers that's like nearly fine because we know how they are they want to fuck anyway basically uh, and you know it's like there's something with women and sex it's like we can't do that somehow right under all circumstances. And sometimes, you know, I, I nearly get, you know, when you're like someone like me that's been advocating for rights and been out there talking about it for many, many years, so they don't even try to, like, say you're really a victim and we're going to save you because, you know, they, they tried that already for, like, <laughs> nearly 30 years. So then they will just be like, I'm just evil, you know, obviously paid by traffickers and pimps and, you know, and I'm evil and I'm like, I'm always getting the feel like soon I'm going to see like all these people carrying like logs and like, you know, make this fire and they're going to like, put, you know, like, you know, like fucking witch hunt in a way, you know, because that's how it feels. It's like, you know, so you are not conforming to the you know, victim status. So you are an evil woman and we will, you know, get rid of you. <laughs> so for the record, who, who pays for you? Who pays for who me? Who pays oh. your bills? Yeah. Yeah, God. Uh, well, I do it myself. Uh, no, I, I have a salary from Rose Lyons. Uh, it's not fantastically paid. Um, and really? How shocking. Yeah, no, sex work organization. We have a deal because they can't pay me overtime and I'm working like 90 hours a week. So I'm allowed to work from wherever I want to as long as it doesn't have a negative impact on my work. <laughs> that's like, that's my overtime. So I can go and visit my partner in Australia. Got it. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's so, a whole other conversation. That's a long distance relationship. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I like to push it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like New Zealand would have been further away. Uh, but no, so so it's yeah, traffickers and pimps, man. I you know, I'm like, I'm waiting for my cane and some, you know, a little bit more money in my bank account would be handy. Um, well, but one of the arguments against the decriminalization position that amnesty has taken is that it decriminalizes pimping as well as sex work um yeah sort of yes and no i mean because i mean for for us in the sex industry we sort of called it pimping laws very like you know but we're also allowed to say hooker you know so it's like (laughs) you're allowed to say hooker i'm not allowed to say hooker no, exactly. You know, it's, like, it's those things. Yes. Uh, but you know, but for me, I mean, I've been working in really excellent brothels and working for really good escort agencies. And I mean, you know, yeah, I understand. You know, if you look at a, you know, technical, you know, what is a pimp? Someone making money off me selling sex? I get it. I get it. 
But I mean, they're not exploiting me. I, I, I entered into, you know, a, an agreement, a business agreement with them. And they said, we will get your clients and we, for that, we charge 40% of your income. And I'm saying yes and, or no. And suddenly, when it's like 40% of your income, when it comes to sex work, people are like, oh my God, 40%. They're taking 40%. And the only thing they can think, she's like, you know, fucking for money and they are taking 40%. Uh, you know, but if you work in a shoe store or I don't know, if you work with anything really and you sell a service, you, you work, I don't as a, I don't know, you work with, I mean, whatever. And you, someone owns the company, you work for them. You don't count on getting 60% of the profit, do you? Right. Right. I mean, some pimps and agencies are exploitative. No, right. No, but absolutely no doubt and i came across a few of those as well uh but the point then is that you when you decriminalize uh you use the 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 laws and regulation you have i mean the labor laws that you have and exploitation is not acceptable apart apart from mcdonald's but anyway it's not acceptable you know in other in other uh, types of works as well you know i mean you have to have some kind of fair fair salary and you know at least okay working hours and there are you know a number and the of possibility things. of unionizing possibility of unionizing at least you know a little bit of holidays at least one day free a week you know just basic stuff and i mean that will i mean that also applies to the sex industry when you decriminalize so it's not like you know, so it's decriminalized, so there are no rules at all. Suddenly it's like, you know, it's just unregulated. No, it's going to be regulated just exactly like everything else is regulated. But labor laws is a really, really powerful tool to use when it comes to uh, the kind of problems you have in the sex industry and, you know, in a lot of other sort of informal markets as well, I would say. So I know that there are different places which have decriminalization in sort of slightly different ways. Can you talk to me a little bit about how it's working? Uh, well, I mean, there's actually only two places that have really decriminalized. Uh, and, it, yeah, there are still some bits and pieces that might, you know, you can, always, you can always find faults in laws. But anyway, so New Zealand decriminalized 2003, I think it was, or four. I, now I get a bit unsure, but somewhere there. And... Uh, that law has been very thoroughly evaluated and all the fears of children, trafficking victims, you know, no, nothing. I mean, it it, it didn't go up. There hasn't been more abuse. Actually, the, the number of sex workers have gone down since decriminalization. Oh, that's interesting. What do you think, what do you attribute that to? Uh, I, you know, I mean, it's anyone's guess because it could be of something completely unrelated. Like right, you know, it could not be it could, like that yeah. because because only ten years ago, so it's like you know the you know the the economy changes. Right. But also, you know, when you decriminalize, and uh, I actually uh, spend a lot of time in Australia, New South Wales, Sydney, where it's also decriminalized. And is the stigma gone? No, but it's way better than when you're criminalized or when your clients are criminalized. Because actually, you know, actually the politicians and the state and, you know, people have actually gone out and said, okay, what, regardless of what we think of this, we consider this work. You are doing something, you know, in return for a financial gain that we normally call that work. So, so they decide to call this work as well. And that sense, uh, you know, it sort of sends a message at least to the general public that this is something you may not like, or you have some moral problem with, but it's here and we are going to respect it just like, like any other job. And 
that there is a difference. You can feel a difference. And when when so when the stigma goes down, uh, then it might not necessarily be such a big deal changing job either. So I would hazard a guess to say that could be a contributing factor. So it's easier to get out of the industry if you want to because people won't look at the fact that you were well, doing sex work and not hire you. Uh, well, obviously some will and a lot of people will still look at you but I, I you know but there is but it could reduce that kind of stigma no and especially what it, what it does reduce is that you know if you apply for a job that you have uh, the qualifications for and the other people are applying for the same job and they don't have the same qualifications it's it will be very illegal to actually not give you the job because you've previously been in sex work because that would be discrimination and it's sort of more out in the open so that actually you can sort of use all these laws that are supposed to protect people and make the world a little bit better uh, while when sex work is criminalized or clients are criminalized, we tend to not talk about it or not tell people and just hope no one finds out. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure people still do that because, I, I mean, I know a lot of people that do it in, in Australia. Uh, but it's not as a big a deal if it comes out because in Sweden, if it comes out, you're a sex worker in Sweden, that is, then it also at the same time comes out, so to say, that you've been uh, having a shitty childhood, you've been sexually molested, you have absolutely no free will, you are a little bit mentally disturbed, you can absolutely not take care of children. And there's like a whole package of sort of, uh, uh, you know, prejudice that comes with it. Right. And the, and the criminalization also, I mean, it, it also keeps workers in violent situations as well, right? Because there's no, you can't call the cops. No, right. No, absolutely. And and I think it's important also to remember, I mean, you know, in Sweden, where I'm from, where we have the wonderful Swedish model, the end demand, you know, we, right. are, we have decriminalized sex work, sex workers, they say, which is the biggest joke I ever heard. Uh, yeah, we are decriminalized if we see the clients in dark street or go to their homes. Because the clients are still criminalized. It's like, yeah, we still have really, really broad pimping laws. We can't work together. We can't work from home because then the landlord can be accused of pimping, so he will have to evict us. Uh, we can't have someone driving us. We can't have someone waiting outside while we, you know, I mean, so we, uh, we have to work alone and we have to go, you know, we have to do out call, go to the client's home uh, in order to only be affected by the law criminalizing the clients. <laughs> so, so much for decriminalization of sex workers, you know, themselves. But, but uh, you know, so, so even when you are not criminalized, but it doesn't matter because the police still uh, want to catch the, the clients. And how do you think they find the clients? Right. By, they by tell like, you. Obviously, because, you know, they, they find out where we work, they have one address, they sit in a car outside and they take our clients. They're not, you know, walking around in town just following random men around because, you know, he looks like a client, let's follow him. No, I mean, they target the workers just like they always did. That, I mean, that, nothing changed, you know. Well, let me ask you then about the gender dynamics of sex work. I mean, it, it's pretty well established that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Most workers are women and most clients are men, although by no means exclusively. Um, and I definitely know that some feminist objections and, and some of the folks who support the end demand approach um, is really about fighting back against the idea that men are entitled to have sex with women, that that, that, there's, yeah. a, that there's a profoundly gendered part of this transaction, which represents and, and replicates sort of the, the attitudes we have towards women as, as sexually consumable. Right. No. Yeah. And, and there are just so many. I have so many problems with that discourse just in general. Talk to me about it. Uh, no. First of all, it's like how I, I mean to say that, you know, the, the minute. So if I have sex for free, I'm feeling valued. Well, hopefully if I you know don't have a really bad one night stand or something, but <laughs> you know, I'm feeling valued. The second someone places money in my hand, I have no value anymore. I mean, says who according to who? You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much up to me how I feel about it. But no, we're not entitled to that kind of self-definition. And I would say this also, that the people that are are talking about the on-demand model and trying to promote that, they are, I mean, I mean listen how they speak, they speak about us. We don't want women sell, selling their bodies. Do you understand? And, you know, so men can buy the right to do whatever they want with them. And I'm like... No, you know what? No one is buying my body and no one has the right to do whatever they want with me. But you just told them that they, that they have that right. Mm. I mean, I mean, really? So, and, and it, so, so they have the, you know, they have this kind of arg- arguments and this, the way they talk about it, because it's like, you're going to hear how disgusting it is and how brutal it is. And it's like, you know, it's, it, you know, it's like not only your body, but your soul is also somehow involved in this and gets, you know, I don't know where it, where it goes, but anyway, it's gone clearly. And, and, you know, sometimes you will even get this really, really extreme, like rad- radical feminist. I, actually, I don't like that because radical is good from where I stand. <laughs> Anyways, anti-sex work people, whatever they are. And, and they will, you know, be like, oh, and men, you know, they pay to penetrate women's soul holes. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> you know, but you just told them they can. Right. That's the, that's the thing. You are, I mean, so, I mean, they are actually, in a way, they are contributing to, towards us being, being more prone to violence because they're actually constantly going around telling the world that if you pay me, you have bought me. Because that's not what I tell my clients. What do you tell your clients? <laughs> that they pay for a service. And the clients are very aware of that they pay for a service. They in no shape or form think they bought me or my body or that they are entitled to do whatever they want with me. You know, it's like... And 
so so I so that kind of language pisses me off because it's actually making our lives more difficult. But frankly, I don't think many of them give a shit, if in all honesty. And then, you know, I mean, again, if I go back to, again to my, my own country, that, you know, for some bizarre reason, thinks they're going to, like, promote this Swedish model piece of crap to the rest of the world. And in Sweden, we have pretty thorough research that says, actually, in Sweden, it's, you know, if you ask people between 40, they asked, so people between 14 and 19, so young people, if they ever had any experience of selling sex. And the majority that said yes are boys or young men or what we should call them, not young girls. Interesting. And are there clients, men, women or both? Uh, men. Men. I'm sure there's, I mean, I'm sure there's some women. Sure, but, but men are the, are still the main purchasers yeah, yeah, of sex. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is? I'm not a man, so I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I, oh, God, you could have 50 different theories, but, sure. you know, that would be a whole other hour. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It's like, and but I don't think it has anything to do with that they think they have the right to do it because that's not at all my experience of clients. And I worked, I mean, granted, I never, you know, I never worked in street work. I never did that. It's bloody cold in Sweden, so very few of us do if we can avoid it. Um, but I have worked in, through escort agencies, I work privately. I've been working in good brothels. I've been working in super sleazy brothels. I worked in a brothel in, in, in Algarve in Portugal where we took the clients to a little camp, like a little camper, a little camping wagon <laughs> that was standing outside. And it was so, it was so old. So it was almost there. You could hear it squeak. <laughs> right. And there were two rooms inside as well so that we could use, but the police had lifted doors off the hinges. So you had to sort of push them to, by the wall, sort of to close. It wasn't a very fancy place. Okay. <laughs> Let sure. me put it that way. Uh, so, you know, I worked in a lot of different settings and uh, not in any setting did I find the average client thinking that he, that this was his right, you know, that he had a right to pay for me. I, I never came across that. You Oh, come on. You haven't come no, across I mean, I entitled no, men. I mean, no, of course I came across, you know, assholes, you know, you know, you know, an asshole here and an asshole there. But I never came across like, you know, working in a really sleazy place in Portugal or in a really fancy place in in you know, London or whatever. I never been in a place where I'm like all day long, I'm experiencing all these men that just look at me like a commodity that they can do whatever. No, there are a few assholes. I also used to work extra as a bartender. There's a few assholes there as well. You know, it's like, you know, it's like a, a little percentage of the population on the, on this planet are idiots, <laughs> you know, and they will also buy sex. And then they also behaving like idiots because that's what they do. Uh, most clients aren't idiots. Most clients are guys, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think they, you know, I think they, they pay for sex for a variety of reasons. Let me ask you about the argument. And, and you know, I'm an, I'm an outsider. I've never done sex work. Um, and the argument that I make a lot of the time when I'm talking with other feminists um, about sex work is we really need to center the voices of sex workers, right? We need to, you know, it's it's actually not my business what they need. It's their business and I should listen to them, you know, I mm -hmm. should listen to you, right? But 
But obviously sex workers are not a monolith either. And there are current and former sex workers who for, who favor criminalization. Um, and so what's your advice about squaring that circle in terms of centering sex worker voices but not – you know, the accusation is and, and I th- and I think it's real to sort of struggle with like not every sex worker has the same experience and not every sex worker is going to make the same argument or want the same things. No. Yeah. No. And I think actually, I, you know, in a way, it sounds like you know, if people would realize that uh, that that's actually how it is and actually see the whole diversity, it would be more complicated. But I would say, no, it would be more easy because the problem now is that the diversity of sex workers' lived experiences is not taken into account. It's a very polarized sort of, okay, we have the, you know, trafficking survivors or prostitution survivors. They hated it. They say it's true for everybody else and they want to have the Swedish model. And then on the other side, we have the unrepresentative, forever happy horse that just want to have decriminalization. And I mean, that's not how the world is, obviously. And uh, I, I mean, I do find it. I mean, I totally respect when people have different different opinions than me because I actually have a friend that is super pro the Swedish model because she's Swedish, so she can put the prices up because the clients are afraid of being arrested, so they think it's safe to go with her. She loves it. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking she's like deeply uns- unsolidaric. But that's me. So... Uh, I, I do think it's weird if you say my experience in the sex industry was really bad. Therefore, it's true for everyone else. And if you say something else, you're lying because I would never apply my own experiences and make, you know, decide in my head that it was true for anyone else than me. Those are my experience, very specific experiences from my life. Um, but But I do think that... We, there is something very, very wrong with the debate around sex work. You know, I mean, as wrong as, you know, not having the attitude that maybe labor laws could be good for this because it's normally good for most jobs. Uh, you know, it's the same thing that if you argue for uh, rights and if you argue for uh, a rights-based response, because I do, re- I recognize some people want to have some form of criminalization, but that's, more sort of a legal response than a rights-based response in a way because we are more talking about getting more rights. And, you know, and that comes with the assumption that we are all happy whores. I'm like, did anyone... I, I didn't say, like, I want decriminalization because I'm so happy when I go to work. Right. But I, but I didn't know... That happiness at work, job satisfaction was like, you know, I mean, I didn't know that was like, you, you need to have that. Otherwise, you're not going to have any labor rights. If you're unhappy at work, no labor rights for you. You need to be happy. Now, I mean, that's not how it works. So, so and, and I think a lot of us have a lot of stories and been, you know, going through a lot of stuff, both good and really bad and everything in between that might have to do with sex work that might not have to do with sex work at all. Uh, I don't think that I have to like display all my, you know, all my experiences and kind of, you know, social porn <laughs> spread somehow, you know, right. just so so I so I can be allowed to argue for my rights. I should be allowed to argue for my rights anyway, you know. And and I've been having situations where people look at me and they're like, oh well, you know, but you're not very representative and you know Swedish and 
indoor and you know and and i found myself and i'm like yes but i was locked up in a brothel once for like two weeks in greece that was bad and i was like using a lot of drugs for many years that was bad and then i'm like why do i have to tell people this these are you know one is quite traumatic experience and the other one is quite a personal thing you know why why do i have to tell people about stuff that i might not want to talk about just because i'm going to prove like look no i'm not that happy i'm look how representative i am lots of drugs lots of drugs you know <laughs> it's like good grief you know what does that okay so you only get labor rights if you've been doing lots of drugs no i mean what's the, i mean it's right. like i don't i you know there's something wrong here because there is yeah there's a there is a so, so if you can't if, you know, if you don't say I'm a victim, this was terrible, it's like, yeah, so the dose of like social porn is not enough. So you just, they're going to squeeze it out of you. Tell us about your bad childhood. We are going to say you have a bad childhood. Just, so, you know, why? I mean, what's the obsession with our childhood? What's the obsession with whether people have been victims of, of, of sexual abuse when they were, were kids? Some have, some haven't, you know, but it's all we think about is everything but work and labor rights. We focus. It's like people focus on everything else. Right. So let's like, let's get around to that. Then I feel like we went off in a hundred directions, all of which were really <laughs> useful. But I don't think we actually talked about the meat of what's being voted on. This is actually we're recording this on a Monday. Amnesty is voting on a Tuesday. So the day that this airs is going to be the day that they're voting. Um, so what what is being voted on? Why do you think it's a good? You know, why is it a good idea? Talk us through the positive direction here. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the proposal has a very carefully, uh, very sort of not in your face type of wording. I, m- I must say, of decriminalization of sex work. So it it's you know it argues for the sake of sex workers' health and safety. So that's really what they've been looking at, like the risk of violence and and you know and and also uh, the right to health and how get, that can really be upheld. Uh, so we are talking about decriminalization of selling sex. So selling sex shouldn't be legal. Buying sex shouldn't be legal. And and third parties, people that facilitate or promote sex work shouldn't be legal. And again, but people who exploit us are already illegal under other laws. People who rape us are illegal under other laws. The same laws that, you know, covers the rest of the population. Uh, so it's it, so that's what they are arguing for. Uh, and uh, there is, is plenty of, of research and evidence out there that actually says that this is a good idea. The Lancet published a, a, a specific number on this uh, last year during the AIDS conference. Right. Uh, you Talk know, me through what they found a little bit. Oh, God, I don't know the, no- the numbers okay. by heart, I must admit, which is deeply embarrassing. Oh, no, I don't mean to embarrass you. We can link to it in the show notes. Um, it, you know, it's something that everyone can look up. If, if people want to look at the Lancet piece, I'll post yeah. it in our show notes, which are at yesmeansyesshow.com. Yeah, no, because it's something like, you know, 35, 40s. I mean, it's a, it, between tw- 20-something and 40-something, I think, you know, um, when it comes to of of not increasing, decreasing HIV risks. Uh, anyways, you have to look it up and you have to say it. But any, anyway, Lancet said it's a good thing because it's good for HIV prevention. So we, I, and we tend to believe the Lancet. I'm going to believe them. I'm no specialist. Uh, but that's not, that, that's not, you know, uh, 
the only thing we have. I mean, the UNAIDS have been for decriminalization for the very same reasons for a long time. The World Health Organization, Human Rights Watch, uh, ILO says that we should treat this as labor, as other informal labor, and uh, and that trafficking should be looked upon as labor exploitation. So, so it's not like Amnesty is the first one to suggest this. They're actually sort of the last one. So why do you think everyone's losing their minds over it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. First of all, I think you know the UN is the UN, and you know which is basically like donor countries like the US and Sweden don't give a shit what the UN says because you know we pay them, so we don't have to care. And then the other countries are you know they, they, you know they will be recipients of the global fund and stuff, and they will just do like the UN tells them to do. So we have two very different worlds here when it comes to the UN. And in Sweden, that is, you know, I think seventh biggest donor country to UNAIDS. You know, I had a person that is working in a part of the State Department but responsible for this kind of decision, where to give the kind of money to. And she, But she was sitting in a panel with me saying, well, UNAIDS are often wrong. And I'm like, so why, why do we give them so much money? That seems like stupid. So, but, you know, so we have this thing with the UN that, you know, we, especially in, in you know, no, global north, we don't have to listen to them that much, mm. uh, first of all. And, you know, Human Rights Watch is, is a very specific organization because, uh, you know, if you compare with Amnesty, Amnesty is one of those member organizations. It's really built by its members and people are really feeling like they belong to Amnesty and Amnesty is their organization. And, you know, they can really, you know, you, it's sort of easy to to participate in Amnesty activity on a, in a small scale, sign, sign some petitions and, you know. Uh, so I think I think that's one reason. It's, you know, it's it's like a very... Apart from being a very big organization, they at the same time they are very much like a you know civil society. You know, just regular people can be an Amnesty member and feel good about themselves. And now Amnesty say that they are gonna you know make this decision around a bunch of hookers, and then people don't feel so good about themselves, <laughs> and then they get angry because they don't want to know. They don't want you know. It was better. Let's talk about the go back to the death penalty. That was more fun. I so so I think I think it's really. So I think that's that's really one reason, and 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 also uh, you know Amnesty is a sort of a more of a mainstream type of civil society actor. The Human Rights Watch is a very specific organization, in, you know, in terms of the work they do and you know the way stuff that they document and 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 again UN is you know I don't even know what to, how to describe the UN and I've been at endless meetings, but anyway. <laughs> But it's, it's a very it's an, it's a completely different sort of beast. Uh, so so I I would say also that uh, amnesty, even considering this, is sort of a threat to this whole like mainstream. All these groups like you know we work with you know rights for this little group, and we work with you know we save animals, and you know all these little you know it's sort of this, feel good, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you know little you know everybody has little you know, little mission in life that they spend a little bit of money on and makes them feel a little bit, you know, fussy inside. And uh, so it becomes very close to like sort of the regular person that normally don't have to be confronted with sex work or sex work politics. And I think that's one of the reasons. Do you think that the vote will pass tomorrow? Uh, I would like to say yes, uh, but I mean... 
Okay, so my my guess is that they're not going to have a vote. My guess is that they're going to leave that meeting with with continue having no position on it. Why? Uh, Too much controversy. yeah, I think it's first of all, I think, it, I mean, or I know that's not a big secret. There are it's very different opinions within Amnesty. There are some countries, or it's not countries, so they are, God, I should know all this, but I haven't slept much in the last week. Oh. So they are called something. Anyway, the ones because you've been working on this issue, I'm guessing. Exactly. So yes. then, now I don't even know what what the ones who are voting the title they have because now I lost that. But whatever, the important people from each country organization they get to vote, and. Uh, I mean, in some cases, they will vote exactly like the membership have voted. But some people know they will have to sort of negotiate. And, you know, it's not going to be exactly what people, uh, you know, wanted in your sort of your national organization. Uh, But then it also comes down to a lot. There are some countries that have more to lose than others if decrim would uh, be pushed through. In terms of, uh, you know, credibility and prestige, and because so what, so what they are holding up as the alternative to decriminalization is the stupid Swedish model, where you point at a group of people and you say they are all victims, and then you say it for a- as long time as you can. It's not stigmatizing at all. So, uh, so Swed- the Swedish model is held up as as an example of of you know el- an alternative. And Sweden is also a strong amnesty organization within amnesty. So I can imagine that they will uh, not, they will not fold easily. And there are some other, I mean, I'm thinking of Canada uh, that have a similar law now. I can't see them. They just took a new law. I can't see that, you know, it's going to be popular if they would come back with something different. Mm. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. a lot of politics in this. And then there is also money again, because uh, Amnesty is not only, but I mean, they are quite depending on, on the membership fees. And, right. and then like in Sweden, in Sweden, I mean, I'm a member of Amnesty. And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, the general Amnesty members, they have in thousands says that, you know, if you vote for, you know, to support this proposal, we are going to leave Amnesty. We're not going to be members anymore. Uh, and that's lots of money. You know, they will right. like ha- have to get rid of staff and shit. <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, all these things play in. So I, yeah, I don't even want to, I don't even want to imagine how, how, how the discussion even goes. Um, I'm sure there are some other, I'm thinking, you know, also there's like, other countries, in, especially in Europe, that are considering the Swedish model. So I'm sure all of them are ganging up. That's my guess, because it's also <clears throat> quite quite strong amnesty sort of partners. So this will kind of have been hammered out in the back room before it actually goes to the vote. No, I'm not so sure about oh. that. I'm not so sure about that because they. I mean, they. They. Ha- I know they had a debate on Saturday. Which was the big like debate day about this, but but you know uh, uh, I've heard through the grapevine there has been a little bit of <clears throat> or quite a lot of debates all through sort of you know it's been a lot of discussions on this and I think it's not hammered out at all. Uh, it could be. I mean maybe they are sitting now ha- you know having wine saying wow we did this well you know, <laughs> but I <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be it's going to really be down to the, I mean, really till the very end, you know, and it's anyone's guess what's going to happen. 
I, uh, I mean, I, I, I you know, my heart wants to say that they're going to vote it through. Uh, I think my concern would be if they voted it through but made some changes to it that made it, uh, you know, less strong, uh, if you may, because then it might be better with no position at all. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to explain this all to me and my listeners. If people want to get involved or if they want to follow your work, where should they go? Uh, well, I God, no. I have a Twitter account now. Isn't that fab? I got it two months ago. Congratulations. Uh, yay. First thing I did was post a semi-nude picture of myself. So there's an opportunity. <laughs> and since then, I'm obsessed. I'm like posting nude pictures of myself. And not like sexy nude, just, you know, I look like a cartoon in most because I sort of manipulate them. Anyways, uh, that was another story. Uh, no, yeah. So I Twitter would be best, I think. And what is your Twitter account? My Twitter account is uh, P.E. Jakobson. Well, my name. All right. And is there a way for folks to support the work of the Global Network of Sex Work Projects? Uh, I would say the best way to support us, you can't like give us money or anything because then, you know, you are probably pimps and then we're like, no, <laughs> no, yeah, no, we are, we are a global network. I would say, you know, first of all, you know, start, start supporting where you're at, start supporting in your, in your own community and, or in your own state. And, you know, I'm sure there's a sex worker organization there and, and in local sex worker organization are, are normally really, really happy if you're like a sane person that and don't scare people and stuff, you know, if you want to like donate time or like, you know, maybe you're really good at something, you have a print shop or whatever, you know. So help out uh, with, the, you know, close to, to your own community. I think that's that's a good start. Excellent. And folks can find me at, also on Twitter at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. Uh, also on Facebook under that handle. You can find me at my website, which is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, you can find the show notes for this and all of our past episodes at YesMeansYesShow.com. Uh, you can send me email, and I hope that you will. Let me know what you thought of the show. Send in advice questions for me and future guests to help you out with. Send suggestions for topics you want us to talk about or guests that you think that we should have. Uh, you can email me at YMY at JacquelineFriedman.com. That's YMY as in yes means yes. Uh, Pia Jakobsen, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you get some sleep. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and for everyone else, we were wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.